and welcome to Mind and Money, the podcast series where we look at how your psychology impacts your long-term financial decision-making. I'm Becky O'Connor and I'm pleased to have Greg Davis of Oxford Risk with me again. This month, we're going to be talking about attitudes to risk. We've seen some really odd market behaviours lately with the Reddit field rise and fall in the value of GameStop shares. Lots of people seem strangely happy to take some quite obvious risk with their money. Typically, we're guided to think of risk in quite a basic way. It's usually divided into three approaches, cautious, balanced and adventurous. But Greg, let's start off with asking, do you think this is an adequate way of describing most people's approach to taking risk? Um, yeah, as you say, it's, it's extremely simplistic. Um, and, and not just because there are more grades between cautious, moderate and adventurous. There's a whole, there's a whole spectrum. You know, humans exist on a continuum. Um, but the more fundamental thing here is that when we talk about risk attitudes, it should be in the plural. We should be talking about attitudes. We don't have just one attitude to risk. And the probably the most important distinction to make here is the distinction between my willingness to take risk in the long term, to conceive of risk return trade-offs with my portfolio outcomes in five or 10 years, and my willingness to take risk this morning. And very often, those are two completely different things. And, and one of them tends to be quite stable. My, my willingness to conceive of you know, taking on the chance of poorer long-term outcomes for the chance of better ones, that's, that's a fairly stable feature of my personality. Um, however, how I feel about taking risk this morning can absolutely ricochet all over the place. And in times when I'm driven by herd behavior, what I see happening in the newspapers, I get excited about a, a stock, I get excited about a, a post on Reddit, then the enthusiasm can dominate. And I start taking much more risk than would be sensible for my long-term financial needs. But the opposite can be true. If we read the newspapers about pandemics, um, we read about stocks going up and down and the volatility, then my willingness to take risk this morning can actually mean I take much less risk than I should for my long-term needs. You mentioned um, news and media twice there um, in terms of you know people feeling more enthusiastic or feeling more risk-averse um, when they wake up. It sounds like we should be avoiding news in that case. But do you think that you know there's a certain um, level to which the news does impact us? It impacts us hugely. I mean, one of the key things that drives our emotional willingness to take decisions and to take risk is the information that we have coming in. And if we want to be good investors, we need to be focused on the long term. The trouble is the news is never, ever long term. The news is what's happening now. And it's, there's a lot of it. It's flowing in from, from multiple channels, from social media, from, from newspapers, from what our friends are saying. And this can mean that our emotional response to the short-term news coming in can utterly dominate our sensible, stable willingness to think, well, what is the right thing for me to do for my long-term financial needs? So I think uh, controlling the flow of information towards yourself is one of the, the most powerful ways of becoming a better investor. And what we should really strive to do is to align the information that we look at with our objectives. If our objectives are to try and grow our total wealth over the next five years, then we should be very cautious about looking at day-to-day -day returns of small components of that wealth. If we look at too much detail, either in terms of sub pieces of the portfolio, you know, this share rather than that share, as opposed to the whole portfolio, or we look at the world in narrow time slices when what we're trying to achieve is in a 
in the long term. Both of those things are causing a gap to arise, a wedge to be driven between the decisions that make me emotionally comfortable right now and the decisions that are logical and sensible for what I'm trying to achieve. That's really interesting. I mean, thinking about um, the, the news flow that we have at the moment and problems of, of fake news, um, do, do we see that impacting the way people um, invest too, in the sense that they don't know what they can trust, so they may be more risk averse? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really interesting because news and short-term information flow is a real problem for investors, even if it's true. But if it's not true, you can imagine the problems that arise. And a lot of the stuff that is not true are things that are designed to push our buttons. You know, we can think about um, uh, things that are there to drive headlines. Things are there that to ex- excite behavior. Um, things that are there to cause fear. All of these are emotional triggers. They're there to exacerbate the emotional component of our decision making. And when you think that you know, even accurate news in the short term is dangerous for investing, then absolutely any form of fake news, anyone with an agenda who's trying to push your behavior towards chasing the stock, towards pumping something up so it can be dumped again at a profit later. I mean, there, there's a huge power of social media platforms and news platforms to drive mass behavior amongst humans that feels to them exciting or it feels to them appropriate or emotionally comfortable at the time, but at an individual level can be incredibly costly for them financially. It, it feels like what you're saying is that we're being pushed into extremes with our, our approach to risk and, and the, the way we approach our finances, as, as well as in other parts of life. And we, we talk quite a bit about um, uh, older people who are approaching retirement and becoming uh, more risk averse and hoarding cash and so forth, and and the FCA has said um, in the past that this could be a problem. Um, do you think then that, given all of the news and um, you know the fact that we are living through a pandemic, is making people more risk averse than they are uh, anyway in normal times? Well, I think it's like almost everything today; it's polarizing people. So if we look at the GameStop Reddit environment, it's difficult to argue that those people are taking less risk, those that are, that are indulging in that, or those people that are buying Bitcoin or, or whatever, whatever it may be. So there, the narrowing of our emotional time horizons, the focus on the present, and the, the, the tantalizing promise of the Get Rich Quick scheme is pulling some people off to one extreme where they're going, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to take a punt. Um, and that itself may be exacerbated by times of stress, um, the desire to, to have that get rich quick so that you, you create that security that's perhaps missing from your life. But I would say they are probably the smaller group. You're absolutely right. The larger group of people are those who are going, you know what, this pandemic is a bit scary. It's a bit frightening. Um, I don't know what effect it's going to have on the economy, on my health, on, uh, on on the stock market in the long term. And so that is a reason for me to pull back on risk. And on average, we are seeing people hoarding more cash. Um, and some of that is good. I mean, holding more cash at a time of crisis because it provides you with financial resilience, that is no bad thing. But if people are holding cash at the, at the that they don't need, they're not going to need in the next two or three years, if they're holding that cash at the expense of being invested and being able to grow their wealth over the long term, they are in fact, in the long term, they're taking more risk. They're, they are, they're locking in losses in the form of inflation, uh, and they're not benefiting from the returns that we can get from a sensible long-term investment in, in the stock market. And 
you know, again, the news here is an issue. It doesn't matter where we are. And right now we're in a pandemic, but there has not been a single point in the whole of recorded human history when it would not have been easy to find an excuse for why I should not get invested this morning. No matter what, no matter what's happening in the world, you can always find something negative to point your finger at and go, that's going wrong. Therefore, I'll wait till tomorrow. And this is one of the biggest behavioral costs in investing is people uh, reading their short-term unwillingness to take risk this morning, not investing today, going, I'll think about it again next month. And they do it next month and the following month and the month after that. And 20 years down the line, they're in a far worse financial situation than they would be had they actually just overcome that risk aversion in the moment and gone, look, I don't need this money in five years. I can afford to put it into the markets. I can afford to take that volatility. Then they will end up in a much better situation overall. So yeah, this, this, this risk aversion for most people is actually the most costly, costly aspect of our, of our emotional decision making. Thinking, thinking back to the cautious, balanced, and adventurous categories that are frequently used um, in the industry to describe approaches to risk, they feel very personality-based. And yet everything that you've just said suggests strongly that we've, our risk tolerance is way more than our personalities. And indeed, our personalities can't be divided up so easily. So I'm just wondering if that, if we can consider that an inadequate way of thinking about risk uh, when we're ticking those boxes for our ISA investment style, for instance? Yes. Yeah, so, so the important thing here is to be able to separate what we would call risk tolerance. That is my my stable, long-term willingness to, to trade off risk in return over a 5, 10, 15-year period. Um, there, we can look at a spectrum. And, and I should say that we would strongly avoid using terms like cautious and adventurous because right from the outset, those are emotionally laden terms. And people go, oh, yes, I'm an adventurous sort of person. I want to tick that box. Regardless of whether that is true or not, you're actually, you're biasing people's self-selection right from the outset. But as long as what I'm talking about is, is an aspect, a stable feature of your personality, that's your willingness to, to take on risk in order to get good long-term returns, then yes, we should use some form of spectrum like that. And we would always recommend that you use a really robust psychometric tool in order to assess the risk tolerance of an individual, because as humans, we're pretty bad at assessing our own long-term preferences, and we always end up deviating to the, how do I feel this morning? And so we could think of risk tolerance as the one bit there. The other piece that's important is quite different, uh, and we can think of it as composure. Once I've decided to take that long-term risk and I've decided that it is appropriate for, my, for what I want in the long term and, it's a, and I'm able to take it financially, there is a secondary question of, am I able to take it emotionally? Because even if I'm willing to conceive of a risk return trade-offs in 10 years' time, that doesn't mean I'm not going to be a nervous wreck when the markets drop by 3% tomorrow. And it is really important to be able to separate risk tolerance from composure because you sometimes get people who are really high risk tolerance. And as long as you could invest for them and then shield them from what was happening in those investors for the next 20 years, they'd be perfectly happy. The trouble is, because we get to look at our, our investments, because we get reports on it, um, if I'm a high risk tolerance person, but I have low composure, it is likely that I will make mistakes along the way. 
I will do things like I will be tempted to trade too much. I will be, I'll get overexcited when things are going up and I'll buy more at the top and I'll sell more at the bottom. And that has very little to do with risk tolerance in the, in the, in the sensible, let's put you on a scale way. It has everything to do with understanding your own tendency towards anxiety along, along the ups and downs of the journey. Thinking about somebody's personal background, their family background, is there anything there that you can point to that would suggest somebody be more likely to take risks or more likely to hoard cash? Absolutely. There are features of people's social backgrounds or demographic backgrounds that can influence their degree of risk-taking. I would caution, though, that it is always vitally important to look at the individual first because the demographic predictors are much weaker or very much less than individual personality. Within a family, you can find really low risk takers and really high risk takers. Um, but for example, there was a wonderful study that was looked, looked at people throughout the course of their lives, people who had grown up in the Great Depression in the US. And this particular cohort of people for the rest of their lives were less willing to invest in stocks than anyone older than them or younger than them. So certain experiences that have a formative role to play on our personality early in life can actually carry through in our risk in our risk taking behavior uh, over the course of the rest of our lives. We also know, for example, that risk taking, both risk tolerance and composure, do on the average decrease slightly with age. So as you get older, you you know it's this this is a stereotypical thing. It's not wouldn't be surprising to anyone, but as we become older, we become slightly more sensible and, and slightly less risk taking. Although in fact, it's not necessarily slightly more sensible because if you argue that many people's problem is taking too little risk in the outset, that actually maybe it's getting worse um, as you as we get older. So we we know that that has an effect. For example, the countervailing thing to that is people who are wealthier or as people become wealthier, they tend to become slightly more willing to take more risk. And these things can offset each other. So because most people tend to accumulate wealth as they get older, you've got these two effects offsetting each other. Um, as I get older, my risk tolerance might go down on average. As I get wealthier, it might go up on average. And we don't know where it's going to net out. So it's really important to think of your own unique situation and to introspectively assess yourself or to use you know psychometric tools to to go well can i get an objective measure of what my risk tolerance is or what the risk tolerance of my clients is you mentioned something there about um younger people sometimes taking low risk options and that's something that we've actually found with our pensions research um about a third of uh, people um millennial in the millennial age group um move their pension from the default option into a lower risk option. Um, and I'm wondering if you have any insight into what could be going on there. Yeah, I, I think that that for the most part is not age-related. Uh, it is related to the discomfort of being new to this complex thing. And one of the strongest influences on, on people's willingness to take risk is their knowledge and their experience. They're, because as we get familiar with a certain type of risk, we become more willing to take it. And indeed, it becomes safer for, for us to take it because we're preparing for it more. Uh, I could give an example here that has nothing to do with finance, but no. uh, you and I would look at a, you know, a mountaineer who's going to summit Everest as being uh, 
a lunatic risk taker when it comes to mountain climbing. And yet most mountaineers in that situation don't think of themselves as lunatic risk takers because they have spent years planning and preparing and training for it. And so as we get more experience in something, it actually buys us the license to take more risk. It also buys us the psychological comfort with taking that risk. So I think a lot of people who are young and are thrust into the investment world through their, you know, their employee pension or whatever for the first time actually find that a very daunting experience. They don't have uh, the, the knowledge or the background to comfortably choose. And so naturally, as the default position, they might migrate to something that is a little lower risk than in fact would be ideal for, for their needs. Because financially, as long as you are diversifying your portfolio, the time in most people's lives when they can safely take the most risk is when they're young, because they've got 30 or 40 years left of saving ahead of them. And the fact that your portfolio might drop a little bit tomorrow is utterly irrelevant. So actually helping young people to overcome that nervousness and and to provide them with uh, education and the wherewithal to engage with finance early on, I think is a really valuable thing. And that is the sector of the market that the finance industry has found it incredibly difficult with to engage with effectively. Uh, and that's one of the possible silver linings of the surge in, in retail trading and, and Reddit that we're seeing. Uh, although at the moment, it largely seems to be there's lots more people trying to catch falling knives. Uh, actually, sure there are a bunch of people who are normally very difficult for the financial services industry to engage with who are now engaging with the markets. And if we take advantage of that opportunity well, by providing education, by providing tools to help them understand themselves better and provide them with that comfort to be better investors, then there's a real opportunity out there. Do you think that um, parents need to have more conversations with their children um, about this kind of thing in that case, as well as more education from the industry and possibly within schools? And at what age do you think is a good age to start having those conversations? I, I do absolutely, and, and there's a fair amount of evidence on this. Um, sadly, the thing that everyone seems to want to work, which is put financial education into the classrooms, doesn't seem to be terribly effective. So I think parents being involved is very important, and the evidence would suggest that the earlier the, poss- the, the earlier the better. Yeah, by which I mean you're probably not going to be sitting down and talking to your five-year-old about the mechanics of taking out a mortgage or, or, or whatever it may be. But simple things like um, giving kids uh, a little bit of pocket money and then enabling them to make some of their own decisions because making it clear to children that there is a trade-off, you can buy that or you can buy that. You've got a limited amount of money and you can't have both. Putting kids into that position where they have to try and think, um, you know, they have to try and be making their own decisions with regard to money starts to provide the familiarity and the comfort with making better money decisions later. The other thing is, of course, um, the question of impulsivity. So trying to say, if you don't buy this now, you could do more with that money later. And the earlier you can get that lesson sunk into your children's heads, uh, the, the better. Uh, and so this notion of saving, I don't think it's ever too early to start telling kids, well, right, if you've got this bit of pocket money, why don't we put some of it aside? And then next week, you've got twice that amount of pocket money. You can do something different with it. You can start doing those things and having those simple conversations very early. And as much as anything else, it's just a question of 
of giving them a sense of familiarity and a sense that resources are limited and that sometimes they are going to have to make those decisions. Thinking about what the industry can do um, and specifically on helping people understand risk tolerance and risk composure for themselves, uh, but also the risks that certain options present, is, is there anything that that you think could be done better to reflect our, our understanding of ourselves and also our understanding of the investments that we're offered? I mean, I think there's a huge amount that could be done better. Um, our, on, on understanding ourselves, you know, we have a financial personality assessment that can measure up to 15 different dimensions of personality. Now, one of those is risk tolerance. Another one is composure. We've spoken about those a bit. But other, other aspects come into play as well. You know, people's impulsivity. Uh, there's a psychological scale called locus of control, which is about whether people are inclined to think that the world is under their control or whether things just happen to them because of fate or, or acts of God. And where you sit naturally, where, where your intuitive psychology sits on the scale, has big implications for how you should go about planning your, your, your financial life, etc. So I think there's, there's a lot of uh, tools out there that can give people much better self-knowledge and self-insight. Uh, and, and that just simply having that knowledge and insight can help people to uh, smooth off some of the rough edges to their emotional decision making. The other thing, though, I think on the investment side is we could all, particularly when we are new to investing, uh, we could all benefit from being able to download some sensible rules of investing. You know, uh, how how frequent should I? How frequently should I look at my portfolio? Um, how frequently should I trade my portfolio? Um, rules like, um, you know, don't sit on cash that you're not going to need for the next five years because you are much better off putting it in a diversified investment portfolio. There are a whole bunch of really simple investment rules that I don't think are typically communicated very well to people. And then we come across you know, GameStop or Silver or Bitcoin and these are situations to which none of those rules would, would tick the boxes, right? No, no sensible investment rule would ever suggest you get involved in any of those things. And yet, because we haven't managed to effectively download good rules of investment into people's heads, they reach for these get-rich-quick get screams, and they very often get burnt as a result. It feels like we're at the very beginning of a journey in better understanding of risk that we're all going to need in a in a world where more of us are invested in the markets through our pensions or um, through through our ICEs. Um, so thank you very much, Greg. That was brilliant. And thank you all for listening. Please like and subscribe. And of course, you can find loads more investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next month for another episode of Mind and Money.